Antoinette Oglethorpe here with the Talent Development Mastery Podcast. Today I'm talking to Nick Pope, who is Global Learning Director for Unilever. And as well as being globally responsible for learning, Nick has specific expertise in the area of high-performing teams. And that's the subject of today's podcast. Hi, Nick. Welcome to the call. Hello, Antoinette. So, Nick, today we're going to talk about developing high-performing teams. And one of the things that really impressed me when I first met you was that you're completing a doctorate at Ashridge, researching into the conditions that create and sustain high-performance executive teams. Now, that takes a huge amount of time, effort, and commitment. What attracted you to this subject? Why is it so important? Uh, I think it's important for a number of reasons. What attracted me was that I was getting stuck. Um, I was getting stuck at work as I worked with some of our most senior teams across the business and tried to use some of the existing tools and ideas that were out there and try to translate those for executive teams. And it just wasn't working. It wasn't working particularly well. Um, and I've always had a big belief that it's what happens before and after uh, any type of intervention that really helps sustain things. And what I was, I was noticing is that interventions weren't being sustained past the workshop. So I thought, what better way to put myself through some misery than to um, study for four to five years on this area of high-performing executive teams and try and work out what's the difference that really makes a difference with this group. And I think one of the one of our focuses that we tend to be quite good at in most organizations is um, focusing on the individual for development. We often talk about top talent, but very rarely do we think about top teams or collective leadership development. It tends to be done usually on the individual basis. So my research is all around collective leadership and how do you build collective leadership in high-performing uh, teams, particularly executive teams. Wow. I mean, I must admit, as soon as you say that, there's, a, there's the practitioner in me going, gosh, taking whole teams out for periods of time. That must be quite a logistical nightmare apart from anything else. Have you found it difficult? Um, well, teams tend to have a normal rhythm of meeting anyway. They just don't always tend to use the... Uh, use the time as effectively as they could do. They often get caught up in things which, quite frankly, shouldn't, they shouldn't be doing. Uh, and when you look outside the world of business into other teams, so my research, uh, as well as looking at uh, executive teams, also looks at some unusual teams. So uh, my local hospice team, for example, some session musicians, people that have to come together very quickly and perform. One of the things in which they have in common is that they train together regularly as a team. They understand each other's rhythms. Um, and I think one of the opportunities that business teams often miss out on is this ability to really train and be together. But the time that they do have together is often not focused on the right things. Fascinating. And um, the, I mean, the place we always start in these things is you know, the business case for making this investment and I imagine persuading management teams and executive teams to invest their time in focusing on these different areas is a bit of a sell. Um, is there research into why this is important and the difference it can make? 
There is, and as I, as I got into some of the research, a lot of it surprised me, actually. I'll come on to that in a moment. I guess the most important thing in positioning any of this work is that it cannot be seen as anything different to solving whatever the business challenges are. So my work with uh, teams in the business is helping them solve what some of their biggest uh, challenges are, um, some of the sticky issues that they're facing right now, not necessarily directly focusing on anything to do with that team. So I think particular senior team work and executive work has to be done through whatever the lens um, of the business challenges. So I talk about this idea of a double task. You're focusing on what the business challenges and indirectly you're looking at how the team is working and not the other way around. Because I think the days of, you know, MBTIs, trust walks and just taking some time out to work together as a team has its value and has its place, but certainly with executive teams, for the purpose of my research, I define those as the most senior management team in an organization and minus one, so the C-suite and minus one. Um, those teams uh, you know, really don't have the time just to take two days out and you know, get to know each other better. I wish they did, uh, and they wish they did as well, but the reality is these are busy people with big responsibilities. Um, so I think the idea of selling something in, selling a team workshop would never really work. But the idea of trying to use the collective leadership of that group to solve some of the most difficult challenges that business faces and through that look at the quality of the team uh, is a much easier way to get into it. So that's point number one. Hmm. When you do get into some of the research and ask what does that tell you about top management teams, there are three things that really surprised me. Um, the first thing is that the, some of the characteristics of the top management team are able to predict organizational performance, particularly when it comes to things like return on equity uh, and also some of the profitability looking at um, some of the research done by a group called Finkelstein and Hambrick from the 90s. Uh, and in fact, some of the more contemporary research done by the conference board in 2014 looked at the predictor of focusing on the quality of the team versus the individual directors only. Uh, and a high-performing team is an eight times greater predictor of corporate performance than the individual directors themselves. The last stat, which often doesn't go down as brilliantly, but the research is fairly unanimous on this, again from Finkelstein and Hambrick, looks at the top management team versus the CEO as a predictor of organizational outcomes. Uh, and there was a time where we had the leadership model of uh, this very much the heroic CEO that would come in and, and, and lead the business, whereas actually the research suggests that the top management team is a much greater predictor of organizational performance than the CEO in isolation. So from, from the hard stuff, from the logic, there is uh, three very strong reasons around why focusing on the quality uh, of the top management team is very important. But more than that, the things that the research can't get to is this idea that anyone who's worked in any organization before knows that the top management team helps synchronize the culture of an organization. We often talk about this idea of tone at the top. You know, you have to get the leadership team uh, bought into anything. Uh, and they really do synchronize the culture. And unless they themselves are synchronized, aligned, uh, and a number of other factors which I'll talk about, then it's really difficult to try and absorb or drive any change through the organization. So something which the research can't really speak to, but anyone who's worked in an organization will know what the feeling is like when the teams just aren't synchronized and aligned in the right way. 
Mm. That's, um, I mean, the whole idea of collective leadership, I think, is really um, quite new. Um, as you say, most leadership development interventions in organisations focus on the individual rather than management teams. Um, and that obviously that then leads to a number of multiple well, multiple stakeholders and multiple levels and all sorts of dynamics. Um, so it sounds quite challenging. Um, what? It's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's, um, you know, it's, it's tough at the top. It's difficult being in those teams. Um, there's a, there's a number of reasons why this work is difficult. Um, let me talk you through some of these. I think the most important is how, how organizations generally speaking, develop their talent in that the majority of individuals on uh, a top team have been groomed for individual brilliance. So they've, they've reached that point through mostly demonstrating um, characteristics uh, of success, but individual success. And when it comes to high-performing top management teams and this idea of um, which is described by a guy called Alan Watkins, of leading out versus reporting in is really important. So if you look at most teams, what often happens is uh, the CFO or whoever um, managing that function will just represent that area, as opposed to the mindset in very high-performing teams, which is this is the team that leads out and represents each other, regardless of domain and function. In fact, one of my shortcuts for trying to, when I work with teams, to get a sense of how high-performing is this team is if I notice at any town hall meetings that you have the marketing person talking about finance or the HR person talking about supply chain. So somebody representing someone else's domain, that's a real clue to me that this is a team that understands this leading out mindset as opposed to reporting in. But this grooming for individual brilliance and our talent models, which tend to spot individuals and develop individuals as opposed to groups, makes this more difficult. There are a few other things. Um, typically, people in top teams are at the end of five generations, so at the other end of their workforce. Um, there's a very different um, set of values and expectations around what they want from uh, an employer most of the time. These teams are often virtual. You know, they all occupy the same executive floor, but because of their travel schedules and um, just the meeting rhythm, very rarely are they actually there with each other. So we all know that some of the challenges of virtual working, it exists even when there is an executive floor. These teams often suffer a lack of gender diversity. There's simply not enough women in executive boards. And again, the research on this is fairly unanimous, which looks at the composition of um, male versus female and some organizational outcomes as well. Uh, particularly, you often see this in uh, conflict and in the quality of uh, how discussions are run. And although this is changing, and particularly at uh, Unilever, there is a big focus to um, bring more senior women up through the ranks. Generally speaking, I think particularly in the UK, this is an area where most businesses need to get better at. Mm-hmm. Most of these teams are, are managed as hub and spokes, so the leader is in the middle and is managing each of the individuals very much like a hub and spoke of a wheel. So all the decisions have to go in through the leader. And then everything we talk about in terms of organizational agility, empowering, becomes much more difficult because there's a central connection uh, central connection point. So for all of those reasons, 
um, this is hard work to do, and it's also very hard for people in those teams to be able to get to a place where they're. We talk about collaboration um, a lot, but actually getting to that place of collaboration is really tough. Mm. And I guess you know they're not they're, they're busy thinking about their domain and what they're trying to achieve and where to take the business, as well as these six areas of of challenge which are a challenge for them personally as well as for anyone that's trying to develop them as a team. Yeah, absolutely. This is a team that, um, if done right, should really be operating at the boundary between the external environment and the internal environment. And that constant pull-push from either the shareholders or from the internal organisation is a very fine line for any team to walk. And hence, and so I think about the maturity of most teams that I work with and how they develop. Uh, the starting point for a lot of people when they get into team development is often the good old Tuckman storming norming team development, which certainly has its place, but I'm not sure how how relevant it is when you look at executive teams. I look at them in a slightly different way, um, a model which I um, is uh, called a five C's model, which starts off with when you work with any team, there's this this cordiality slash competition where uh, there's a fair amount of um, politeness which exists in the team. But that often underlies a sense of competition between individuals that haven't quite worked each other out yet. The second stage, the second C, is this idea of communication, which as simple as it sounds, is literally just getting people to be able to speak to each other around what's going on. Um, what follows next is coordination. and most teams that um, certainly I've looked at through my research inside and outside of Unilever sit somewhere between this stage three coordination and cooperation. Coordination is um, uh, simply getting things done, understanding that um, what's happening in the business and what needs to get done. And for most teams, that's enough. That gives you the kind of one plus one equals two. Uh, and is a challenge just to get to that stage of being able to coordinate and direct resources and to have some of the members cooperate between each other, uh, which would be stage four. Now, the final stage is, is collaboration, and um, I think it's an important difference here that I'd want to make between cooperation and collaboration. Cooperation for me is about leveraging what you have in common with someone else, is looking at similarities and working on a shared goal. Collaboration is the ability to be able to work with difference, hold that tension and the difficulties it what comes working with any difference in order that something else may emerge that neither one of you would be able to imagine before that. So it's really, for me, only with the collaboration that you start to get this idea of the, the one plus one equals three, where a group comes together and are able to positively surprise each other. And we in at Unilever and in you know, most businesses talk about doing more with less, um, mm-hmm. trying to do different ways, trying to disruptively innovate and so on. And in order to do that, it's a very different mode of working. It requires people to work with difference. It requires them to rub up against each other and cause these sparks. But instead of burning the whole house down, we need to be able to contain these sparks and create something which um, is really powerful. Um, and the ability to do that for a top team can only come with disciplined work in this area. It's a really tough thing to do to work in that mode. And hence why I think most teams end up somewhere between the communication and coordination. 
because it's mm. really tough to do the rest. And how much of this work in terms of moving them through the, the stages is done um, under the initiative, if you like, of the team itself driving forward um, uh, as opposed to external facilitation or coaching by someone like yourself? I think I think it varies. It depends on the sponsor that you have. Um, I guess one of the, um, the enjoyable things about my role is that I'm um, external to them, but I'm internal. So mm-hmm. I have a good sense of the pulse of the business around what's what's going on. Um, most teams that I um, that I've worked with certainly would enjoy uh, a more productive. I don't think anyone, if you ask anyone about, would you like to work in a high-performing team, most would say, yeah, of course I would. Mm. Uh, and particularly at Unilever, there's a big commitment from the senior leaders to create the right inclusive environment such that people don't have to bend themselves out of shape uh, in order to bring themselves to work. So, I, you know, I, I think if you're lucky enough to work in an organization where you've got leaders who really understand the importance of this and... Uh, and take steps to create this within the team. Um, then, to your to your point around how many of them want to do it, then most of them want to do it. I can't think of anyone who would not want to work in that type of team. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I mean that that model sounds um, fabulously useful, and I guess also could be the basis of a diagnostic or an assessment um, or something of that nature. Um, I know your research isn't quite finished yet. Um, if anyone wants to find out more, where might they be able to find out more about the work that you're doing? Um, I'd happily receive any questions. Twitter's probably the best way. My Twitter name is Pope Nick, P-O-P-E-N-I-C-K. Um, I tend to, if I come across some great insights working with team or a great piece of research, it tends to get posted on there and on LinkedIn as well. Um, there's a couple of other very prolific writers in this field, all of whom I have deep respect for. One is Peter Hawkins, um, mm-hmm. who has recently written a book, actually, Leadership Team Coaching and Practice, Developing High Performance Teams, has a lot to say in this field. Uh, Alan Watkins as well um, has a great book um, uh, around coherence and working with leadership teams. And many people will be familiar with the more popular Patrick Lencioni, who has a lot to say around dysfunctions of teams. So as well as uh, some of the things which I offer, there are good resources coming out there. And then what's, what's interesting is this seems to be a field which is really accelerating at the moment with the understanding that um, the problems that most businesses and teams are facing right now cannot be solved by one person. They can mm. only be solved by the collective leadership of that group coming together. So I think it's a it's a really exciting time to be in this field. I think you're right, and um, I think you've got some you know, fabulously interesting insights that that do take us beyond the the generally known information in this area, um, and uh, you know really trigger some some new thoughts and new approaches to this. Um, so thank you very much, Nick, for taking the time to share um, your research and share your experience in Unilever. Most welcome. Thanks, everybody. 
And thank you to everyone listening. If it has triggered any questions or comments that you'd like to share, then please either email me at Antoinette at AntoinetteOglethorpe.com or post a comment on my blog. Or if you've got any questions for Nick, then post them on my blog and I'll make sure that they get to him. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon.